Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. Chris, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? Um, I'm hot, sweaty. <laughs> we don't have uh, <laughs> we don't have air conditioning, and uh, although it's not too hot, and we're definitely, you know, we're, we're pretty like west of San Diego. It's way worse, like where my wife's parents and where my mom lives. It's like you know, 10, 15 degrees hotter, but it's still, I think it's like 78 degrees and like humid, and uh, so like all the blinds are are shut, but the windows are open trying to keep it as like cool in here as possible but it's still uh it's just hot enough to have a little light sweat going <laughs> yeah there's always that that dance in san diego where you're trying to open all the windows at night capture as much cool air as you can then close them during the mm-hmm. the day when when it's like peak heat time and then yeah opening them back up again <laughs> yeah thankfully again san diego weather is amazing so thankfully it's like yeah not too hot, especially here to where I couldn't work or we would need air conditioning. And we actually, we do have an air conditioning unit and it's in this room. But the ironic part is that if we use it, we can't use really anything else that requires electricity because it'll short circuit. And then like the power will go out in the whole <laughs> unit. And so we either have to be like sleeping and turn it on or playing a board game or eating, but we can't be like working or watching TV or or even running another fan uh, because it'll short circuit and then everything turns off. That's that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's a struggle. I think we're gonna have to go work at more uh, coffee shops and co-working spots over the summer because I don't know if I can do this all the time, every day. Uh, definitely feel like a little bit of that. It's like I just feel tired, you know, that kind of heat exhaustion. Yeah. But it's not mm-hmm. like real heat exhaustion. It's just uncomfortable, kind of me. Yeah. Well, not to make you feel bad, but I'm in a conference room right now at the co-working space and it's for whatever reason, these conference rooms are like 60 degrees. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like freezing. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. Um, yeah. but yeah, anyways, how are you? Uh, what's new in your world? Yeah. Uh, man, my world is, is crazy right now. <laughs> uh, it's, the counting down the weeks now, the, the weeks remaining in San Diego, which is wild. Man. Um, rip RIP. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty sad. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, it's been awesome and kind of sad to leave, but it'll be a new adventure and, and looking forward to that too. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, has it been, um, I don't know Have you taken like a, I'm assuming you're packing things up like a lot of prep, even just having a top of mind sort of gives you like a productivity hit, you know, feeling like a lot of things to do during the day, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. And also, uh, in, <laughs> in a coincidence of amazing timing, uh, so my wife's going back to work just for the last few weeks that we're here, uh, just to kind of wrap things up. And, uh, so, so she ended her maternity leave, but our daycare provider had a family situation that she had to fly out of town for. Uh, and she's gonna be gone for three weeks. Oh, so oh my gosh. yeah, it's it's like the worst possible timing for us. Uh, but 
it is what it is. And we are, my wife and I are um, just like sp- splitting duties as far as when she's at work, I'm watching the kids. Mm. When she gets home, um, then she watches them and, and I go work yeah. late afternoon to, to evening. Wow. Uh, so yeah, M- major productivity hit right now. Uh, I will also say it's, it has been a, a, a great experience staying home with the kids. I, I think, mm. uh, you know, having two under two is very challenging. And after one week, I can definitively say that I, uh, being a stay at home parent is <laughs> much more difficult than being a software entrepreneur. Holy so, um, yeah, shout out to all the stay at home parents out there. Cause it's, it's difficult. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Wow. H- hasn't, hasn't the, hasn't there been something in the past like that where it was like, there was some sort of, you know, like in that season, there was an especially urgent need for daycare. And then the daycare provider was like, Oh, I've got to go like travel. I feel like this has happened before. Yeah. We, we had a situation last year. We, we had a, instead of going to a daycare, we had our son uh, with a nanny and it, we had a really bad situation with her and had to fire her like on the spot. That's right. And so yeah. then like, then yeah, we ended up like, and, and my wife's only working part-time right now. So, um, it's, it's doable for us to, to split it, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a similar situation last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, like you said, it's just, I mean, it's a major productivity hit, but, uh, life wise, it's, it's awesome to be in a position where we can even consider doing that. So it's true. Yeah. 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 We've got the flexibility, man. What a season. I bet it's probably feeling, uh, like more and more exciting to actually, do the move and get situated and then like have some sort of like sense of normalcy back and routine and I don't know, sanity. Yeah. hundred percent. And I've had to go through a little bit of a, I don't know, mental processing to, to kind of take stock of just like, this is where my life is at right now. Like you said, this is right. the season that we're going through. Things are going to be slower. Uh, my, it, it's actually kind of weird. So, you know, again, I've only done it for a week so far, um, but only having like four to five hours a day to, to really work has in some ways made me more productive. Mm. Like <laughs> I've always struggled to be someone who can just like sit down with like a small block of time and just do the work. Like I have to, you know, whatever be inspired or something like just like more of that, like uh, just like creative. I, I, I need to feel the creative juices going and this has 100% just like forced me to, okay, this is my time and I, I just need to crank away on stuff and get as right. much done as I can. And so it really has been like a pretty productive couple of weeks, uh, you know, and, and last week just working a few hours a day, like it, it's, it's been surprisingly productive, hmm. which, which is cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's definitely some sort of yeah. weird science to that, like constraints. Uh, I mean, kind of right. creative constraints, right. But even that kind of urgency, I think is the the big part of it. I've, I've noticed that same thing where there's a, we don't have the schedule now, but there was a, my wife has had like the schedule on Thursdays where she would go and do something Thursday afternoon. And then like, she would come and pick me up and then we go out to dinner afterwards. And that period between like lunch when she would leave and then when she would get back right after the event that she was going to, or like the most productive three hours. Cause I knew like, okay, as soon as I get the text, she's on her way. 
like I'm, I'm out. I have to be done with work. And so then like, there's like this two to three hour period where I'm just like cranking away at stuff knowing, all right, heading into Friday, like this is all the things I wanted to do. And I've got about three hours to do it. And then I'm, I'm signing off for the night. And, uh, that's always super productive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, it is weird how you can have so much time available. It, it's like when you first quit your full-time job or first quit freelancing, whatever it is that you were doing before, uh, you know, doing your own thing. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, like I have so many hours available to just focus on like the thing I've always wanted to do. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, I, I certainly struggled with this. Like you struggle to actually get stuff done yeah. because there's just oh, yeah. so much time available right. now. Yeah. I know you get used to like this, uh, the after hours kind of five to nine schedule being really productive right. on your side thing. And then it becomes your full thing. And you're like, wait, how do I do this? What, <laughs> what was I doing before? <laughs> and it was like, that was kind of the magic of how you got stuff done was just doing it on the nights, you know, and on the weekends and having that kind of that constraint, uh, to, to force your productivity. Yeah. Obviously you don't yeah, want to it's, go it's, too far with it. And like, falsely engineer all these constraints. It has to be like a real constraint. I think is the hard part. Yeah. And I think that this has gotten me thinking about that as well, you know, going forward, like balancing family and work and, you know, does it need to be a 40 hour work week or could mm. it be, you know, spending more time with family during the day and maybe doing, uh, a few nights as well, mm. uh, mm -hmm. work wise to, to augment it. But yeah, just like sort of realizing that I don't have to just stick to a nine to five schedule just cause that's like what most people do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, might, might experiment with that mm -hmm. once we get settled in. Yeah. My friend is going through that a little bit too. They had their, their first son and, um, they've kind of figured out the schedule where, he takes him kind of like early in the morning, like right when he wakes up until like nine or 10. So it's from like six to 10, basically he has him and then his wife will yeah. take him and then he'll take him again at five and then kind of like handle him for, you know, until like eight o'clock until he goes to bed. And so then from like still a, a decent kind of full work day, but from like 10 to five, he's like, I'm just cranking because I just know like one at any moment, you know, my wife could need help with something or, I need to go fill in or we need to go run an errand or whatever it is. But also, you know, that's like my time because when your time is being filled by other things, every other minute of the day, then you treat that work time kind of more preciously and you end up being more productive with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what I'm experiencing right now. And, uh, yeah, so some good lessons learned. I think it'll be really good going forward. That's cool. Yeah. Speaking of uh, productivity, one of the nice um, new motivations working on SwipeWell is uh, customers and revenue. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so we got our first customer last week. And then uh, I think just over the weekend, we got our second customer. And the second one was kind of like the real one because our first one was a friend who mm -hmm. likes to be the first customer of a lot of things, yeah, especially the things that I make for whatever reason. Oh, Super fun. fan. She's awesome. Um, but so we got our second customer who was like, Oh, I don't know this person. And they hit the paywall and decided to upgrade. And so I was like, wow, <laughs> that feels like the wow. actual first customer. So, 
um, you know, slow and steady. And it was over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was over the weekend. Hashtag Amazing. passive income. Um, <laughs> uh, I also, so we have three customers because technically I'm one of the customers because since we've been doing all this, um, kind of this kind of new programmatic SEO play where basically I'm using my own Swipeable account to curate content for these pages that we'll generate. Last week I hit the paywall myself and that was kind of a weird moment. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, this is what it's like. <laughs> Cause I was, you know, I'm swiping like a million pages and stuff. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it says like, you know, limit reached, uh, and it takes me to a page where it says like, you've hit your limit, you know, upgrade in order to, to keep swiping. And, um, I was like, weird, like th- this is exactly what a user would see. And I didn't expect it. I kind of forgot about it. And so then I upgraded. I think it's a good thing to be a, uh, customer of your own product. I'll probably just, you know, know it later or just give myself a hundred percent discount later. But, um, so we have three, so two real customers essentially now, but, uh, those two customers now are recurring revenue and are waiting for more, but, uh, that's been a nice new source of, of motivation and uh, productivity to keep working yeah. on stuff. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice milestone to hit. Finally. You know, I think especially for, for Connor, we've been working on it since mid February, you know? And so there's, I might've talked about it earlier in another episode, but like one of the things I realized about SaaS that's unique to most other businesses that you start is that there's such a long delayed gratification. Like you can't, you can start charging, but most of the time you need something built before you can start charging and you need something like using it before you can start charging really. Um, and even then, like in order to really start building significant revenue, you definitely need to have like a product and it can be, months and months and months before that happens. Whereas if you start a, a services business, or if you have a product that you're making, every time you make that product, you can go sell it. SaaS is such a, a long game. There's such a big delay. So now, you know, we're at the end of June, it's been a little over four months without any revenue. Now we're just starting revenue, right? But that's a long time to go with, with nothing to show for really. And it's just starting, but that's now like, okay, well, we've made it here. <laughs> we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're building that momentum. Yeah. I mean, four months is still pretty quick. It's still, yeah. Like, there's do- definitely totally. people who go years. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's still, yeah. still super quick relatively. But, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Compared to any other type of business that you start, it's such a long time just to go with nothing and right. then just to start building it. You know, it's not like we're getting contracts that are a couple of grand a month or annual contracts for six figures a year. Like you might with a, you know, a big service or with a big, um, contract that you land for whatever you're doing, you know, we're, we're starting with hundred dollar annual subscriptions up front, um, which is yep. 10 bucks a month, right? A little bit less actually. Yep. It's, you know, $8 and 33 cents ish. Right. We only know that cause we're in SAS. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Has it changed? Um, I don't know how you guys are thinking about it or current. It's, I mean, imagine you're more motivated, more excited, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely more motivated, more excited. Um, I think too, just seeing like, okay, some people are using it and we had the paywalls in place. We're not like kind of forcing it, but we know like, now, especially in this next like month or two, you know, 
are people hitting the paywall? How many people are hitting the paywall? How many people are choosing to upgrade? Like, what do we need to kind of rejigger? I think especially from all the like onboarding calls I've been doing, it's actually really good and motivating, especially for me to see like the excitement on people's faces when they're like, Oh, this is cool. I really like that. And like, Oh, no way. Like you can do that. That makes it really easy. Um, and so we know that people are using it and they're liking it. There's a lot of promise there, but also, you know, people lie or people say that they're excited and they want to use it and they're well-intentioned, but then life gets in the way or they just don't make a habit out of it. And so, um, this is kind of like, you know, where the rubber hits the road and where it becomes real and we're excited to make that happen. You know, at least that's how I, I see it. I don't want to speak for Connor, but like, I just, I want to see it happen now that there's all that potential built up, like let's capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Are, are you still working through the wait list then, or is it open to sign up for anyone? Yes. Good question. So we've, uh, I've sent out all the batches of invites to the wait list, which was up to about 900 people on the wait list. Um, and so now the wait list keeps growing and we passed a thousand. Um, so actually on my to-do list this week is to one schedule like a, a broad kind of general self-serve invite for everyone that doesn't require an onboarding mm -hmm. call. Um, and then two set up an automation, I think I don't want to really change like the landing page yet. I think that we just, I want to spend my time on other things first, but basically instead of making it like click here to create an account, um, we'll just have people still sign up on the wait list. And then I'll automatically send them an email that says like, Hey, here's your invite. Click here to create an account. And also you can schedule a call if you really want some, you know, personal help, uh, or advice. And, um, that'll just be like a quick and easy way to kind of have a self-serve onboarding flow. People can sign up themselves. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So I think we'll probably get that out like early next week, you know, maybe right after 4th of July, maybe on the 5th, kind of aim to have that out. And, uh, and then later make like the, well, probably after that, I'll work on like a, here's our new landing page, have all of our features on there, kind of really explore that. And then have that be the next update that makes it like an official self-serve onboarding experience where you just click a button and sign up. Yeah. Is there still a decent amount of work for Connor on the product side or clear next steps there? Oh yeah. yeah. Plenty of work. <laughs> yeah. It grows every day. Uh, lots of new ideas all the time. Every onboarding call, we get a ton of ideas or just validation for current ideas. Um, there's definitely like still some core things that we're working on. Um, around like different types of content that you can swipe and the way that that shows up in your account. And um, we've kind of like brainstormed a few different approaches to that, but I think we've landed now on a good approach that'll actually like cut down on a lot of the dev time uh, to kind of be like a, it'll just account for a lot of different types of content instead of having to build specifically for Twitter for Facebook, for LinkedIn, for mm. Facebook or for uh, Instagram, for fill in the blank. It'll kind of just be a catch all. Um, and then the next big thing, honestly, I think is more around like sharing and like teams keep hearing that over and over and over again. And that also is a much larger path to revenue since we have multiple users and, um, you know, more advanced features and things like that. And so I'm excited to get there. And that I think is like the next, like, 
almost like a swipe well 2.0 kind of version um but definitely still a lot on the 1.0 version just kind of core experience how things should work cool yeah always plenty um but yeah connor's done really an amazing job like prioritizing we always have like a really tight feedback loop around here's what people are saying and asking for and like here's the current kind of like list of things that we want to tackle next um i think just yeah we should i think the last thing i talked about was like bulk imports um we were making some updates to like the email swipes but now we're kind of like reshifting focus back to kind of the uh it'll basically be like an element extractor um that will just take a screenshot of something that you're looking at instead of like a full page screenshot and that'll be able to better account for any type of content that you want to save um instead of again manually kind of curating the code for each one of those formats cool yeah i mean you guys focus so much on the the onboarding experience in the product the activation flow and uh i think that's like so crucial in the very beginning mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah yeah actually we're also just starting to think about the first uh kind of onboarding instructions and experience too so we're making some outlines now of just like all right here's what a good empty state might look like here's like the first things we want to point people to with little tool tips or a light box and then here we'll probably do like a really lightweight kind of checklist too um it's pretty evident after like talking about the same things over and over again on those onboarding calls, mm -hmm. just what makes sense for people. We want to push people to what people ignore and just, you know, kind of don't do. I actually had a call today with someone who was more of like a Safari user and they used Chrome, but their main one was Safari. And I kept, I had to ask them like 10 times, like, Hey, go download the Chrome extension. Like that's the easiest way to swipe things and add things to your account. <laughs> and he just kept going back to Safari and like, uh, trying to add things manually and like type in URLs like, no, 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 go back to the Chrome extension. And, um, so, you know, we need to have those built in where it's just like really pushing for, there's like four core things we want to push people to and just make sure that they're checking those off. Yeah. And you said all those things are really, uh, obvious or easy to know from doing all the onboarding calls, yeah. but if you're not doing those calls, you will never know that. So that's why those are so, so important. Yeah, exactly. I think especially the order too. Um, like I could pull up our notes now, but it's, it's sort of like, I found a pretty good flow of like what to take people through first. And um, it wasn't super clear that like the Chrome extension was like necessary at first, or if that would be something we could push later. But like now I just think like, especially for building a habit and making it something that people remember to use has mm. to be the first thing and the most important thing that we push people to. And then all these other things are kind of like extras and uh, a little bit more optional, but like we really need that first thing for people to push to the Chrome extension. And uh, so whatever the way that plays out, whether it's in the checklist or we just make people download it before they're even in their account, we'll figure that out. But like we kind of have an idea in mind of what it needs to achieve. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on my side, so I think I've talked about this last couple episodes, maybe, uh, you know, it's funny with the limited schedule, I have definitely had to 
just I've had to let a lot of things fall by the wayside as far as tasks and <laughs> priorities and whatnot, and really just focus on doing things that are fun, doing things that give me energy because otherwise like I don't, I don't have the energy right now to slog through yeah. something that, yeah. that is not. Yeah. Uh, so mostly been working on the product side and, uh, shipped the the feature that i've been talking about like i said the last couple episodes the the final checks update um so yeah it's been it's actually been really cool it's been fun to use like both Noah and myself uh using it when we're setting up boosters and uh, hopefully it's been useful for customers as well uh just like it's like when you get to the very end of the setup flow it gives some recommendations if it found anything that might not be optimized um and then it it also checks for like a few uh kind of like edge cases or things that we don't see too frequently but um can cause jetboost to not work at all uh so just like having all these things automated now hmm. uh we're, we're hoping will reduce support uh significantly yeah because a lot of the things we automated were like okay we get this ticket all the time um, funny enough, this past weekend was the first weekend in, I don't know how long, maybe over a year where we had no support tickets come in over the weekend. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. So we're like, uh, is it, is it working? <laughs> it seems like it's working. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a strange feeling probably cause it like, it, it's weird and it's kind of like, is this bad or good? I guess it's good, but it feels bad almost. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. There have been times where. I've gone through and done product updates to, you know, I've done it many, many times at different points to eliminate like the most common problems. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there's always this dip in support and you're like, this is good, but it feels very quiet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want to be talking to people. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually, uh, this is, uh, one of the areas I, I feel like I've been, uh, lacking in as a, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur is, is building some sort of product analytics uh, in into the JetBoost product. Mm. Uh, so I've never worked at a company where we use like Mixpanel or Amplitude or any of them, uh, and I've I've never done it myself. And for JetBoost, I'm able to get some stuff just by looking through like the SQL database, like running queries on. I was able to sort of build out the the activation flow just by looking at the states of different objects mm. in the database. Um, but it's pretty rudimentary, and I, I came across this uh, this product analytics tool called PostHog. Have you heard of it? No. Mm -mm. Um, they their value prop is like it's I don't know if it's open source, but you can you can host it yourself, which I never totally understand that value prop because I'm like I would much rather pay for your cloud <laughs> <laughs> offering and, and not right. host it myself. Hosted means like it's uh, kind of like. On, on premise, right? Is that like, are we going back to like early 2000s? Is that what that uh, means? Or is that different? It, it means like you set it up on like your own AWS account or oh, something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, which, which it's like, I don't know if there's this, but a lot of, a lot of ways people are selling software like this now is like the free version is you host it yourself. And then the paid version is just like their SaaS. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Uh, That's an interesting model. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I found so interesting about this company was not exactly that, but they 
one of their headlines on their page is quit writing SQL to answer product questions. And I was uh, like, Oh my gosh, this, this like <laughs> is so perfect. It totally speaks to me. And, uh, this, this is the tool that I wish I had set up right now. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a good headline. I'm going to have to swipe this and, uh, there you go. Out. This is actually a really interesting product. Well, let me ask you too. So you said that you came across it. Um, I want to do some like customer journey, uh, reverse engineering here, but like, what, what does that mean? How did you find it or how did they find you? Uh, I found it, I think someone posted a link to it in a Slack group that I'm in, uh-huh. uh, like a Slack community, but I don't know that it was like, it wasn't like somebody answered a question, you know, what product analytics tool should like the the reason they posted the link was like totally for something else, but then huh. I clicked on it and I was like, oh, this is this is actually really interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. But I don't yeah, I don't fully recall, so I won't be that good of a case study. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Well that headline's amazing. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that yeah, it says quit writing SQL to answer product questions. Post hog can answer ninety percent of them out of the box. And then there's this amazing little graphic where it says before post hog and it's like a bunch of code and then with post hog and it has like a little, uh, conditions mapping, um, kind of workflow where you filter. Yep. This is a really good landing page. Yeah, it is. Huh? Okay. So you implemented it and you started using it. So I've not implemented it yet. Um, it's, it's one of those projects where it seems like it would be super valuable. Uh, but at the same time, so like, yeah, I actually wanted to talk to you about this cause I'm curious hmm. if, if you've used like, I don't know, like Mixpanel or something like that at some of your previous companies. Uh, but my thinking is, so we just released this new update and want to see how well it's working. Like, because it does add a little bit of additional friction for somebody to complete our setup flow. Mm. Like there's an extra step now and, and there's some things that could go wrong. Um, and also just curious, like, is it, you know, when somebody gets to the end, are they seeing zero recommendations, two recommendations? Like what's kind of like the average. Oh yeah. Um, That's interesting. So all of that's interesting, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, if I did have that data, like, like what would I do with like, I'm not going to like delete the feature at this point. I mean, I guess it could, if it made things way worse, uh, but it, it's definitely not going to. So mm. it's more just like, this is something like I feel would be nice to have. Um, but I can see at more, I don't know, more sophisticated companies or, or products where you can actually drive like there are things that you could implement where you may risk, say, lowering a conversion rate, and you wanna you wanna track that. Oh right. Um, I don't think we have. Yeah, not not at least for this example, but it does just feel like it would be nice to have a better grasp of of everything that's going on in the product. Like mm. we put out all these different power ups and have no idea because it's not in our SQL database. Like if people are actually using them or not. Um, stuff like that would probably be helpful to know. Mm. This sounds like a kind of catch-all objection to really any analytics product, right? Which is like, well, what do, what do I do with the data? Like, mm. how actionable is it? Um, right. 
man, I, I'm, I'm going to have to dig it up afterwards, but there was a, a quote I heard from, I think it was a how, how I built this podcast interview of a founder who built an analytics product. I can't remember which one it was, but it was like one of the really early ones. And he had this phrase that he gave to the, the sales team for how to sell an analytics product when they would say like, well, I don't know if we really need this, that like really, God, I wish I could remember it. It like, it was really good. It was basically, I was like, man, every analytics product should use this as their, <laughs> their subheader or like weave it into their copy somehow. Um, mm. It was something to the effect of like, we help you answer questions you didn't think of asking in the first place or something like that. Mm. And it's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know type of thing. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I bet you that's one of their main problems and struggles. It's like just getting people to make it feel like it's an important enough thing to go and do all the work of implementing and writing up all the code and installing and configuring and whatever it, it takes to get started. Yeah. No, I think that what you said makes a lot of sense that you don't know what you don't know because right now there could be, there could be like a step say in setting up a filter that is by far, if we were to look at the numbers, like this is the step that the most people get stuck on. Uh, and it's like a huge percentage. And so then we would actually look at that step and see, okay, what's, you know, what is causing people to get stuck here? And that's mm -hmm. when, you know, whether it's setting up customer interviews or, um, or, or just, you know, doing some analysis of the page itself. Uh, yeah, we, we, we definitely don't know any of that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like for analytics products, you almost have to like, you almost have to show like real examples of like this company didn't know they were missing out on millions of dollars because of this one thing. And now because of us, like they fixed it and you're like, Oh my gosh, is that happening to me? You know, that's like spread fear, you know, you have to make people feel like, yeah, what am I missing? Or like, is there something that's really, am I, am I shooting myself in the foot somehow? Um, but to answer yeah. your, your question earlier about like using mix panel or, uh, amplitude or any of the other ones, personally, I hate those products. I've never mm. been able to figure out how to make them useful or like trust the data in some way. I feel like I always end up just asking an engineer to like, pull a report and then like I trust what they say or tell me or if they just show me like you know Derek will just pull like a Heroku data report or something mm -hmm. or other they have like a brand mm -hmm. name for it I think but data data clips or something yeah like exactly yeah data clip exactly um or like a metadata report I think you use metadata it, f it yep. feels like it's more like raw and representative of like what's actually going on um, it just feels like with mix panel and amplitude, you're getting, um, it's just like too far removed from, I don't know. There's something about it that okay, just, yeah, this is interesting. There's too much interface on it. Almost. It's kind of what it feels like. And, uh, I just never really liked use, using it. I don't know. Yeah. So you're basically saying doing database queries actually is <laughs> the best way to, to answer well, product questions. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've, but the reason why post hoc is interesting is because it's kind of like, it feels like maybe an in-between point where it's like, no, you shouldn't have to write SQL queries, but like you'll still just be pulling reports from your database. That, that's kind of the, the message that I get. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I, I could be totally off, but 
Yeah. Um, because something like a mix panel or an amplitude, you have to install their scripts and then you have to do like the, all, all the identify calls. And then you basically have to map like here are all the events that I want to track. And I know that you do that anyways, but you're saving that to just like your, you know, your database or you're logging that somewhere in some system. And that, that's why it feels more like truthful for like what's actually going on. It's cause like you're, you're doing it anyways for your own app. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I've been able to get this far without a dedicated tool like that, because there is like a lot of it. We are just logging into the app because we, we need that data right. to drive the product. There, there are definitely, so some of the reports we pull are like, uh, what percentage of customers or, or what percentage of signups, uh, since it's a, a freemium, uh, create a booster, but don't complete it. Mm. We could do that. So the way we do that right now is just querying the database. We could do it with one of these tools where it does like the event tracking. The, the one advantage I see with the event tracking is, uh, somebody could create a booster and then delete it. And now that's like totally gone from our data. Um, oh, right. Yeah. You know, and mm. we could theoretically like soft delete or whatever, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. A lot of the, some of the stuff is like a little bit over my head and I start to like, it gives me the heebie jeebies really trying to, to think <laughs> about it really thoroughly. We're going through a little bit of this right now with savvy Cal actually, because, um, Derek kind of launched like a freemium version and we're trying to figure out how to improve activation rates and stuff like that. And so he's doing more like event tracking so that we can trigger certain tool tips and emails based on what people haven't done or, or do within the app. And, um, I don't, I think he's like writing it all into, you know, he's just writing it into the code of like, here's what we're tracking and then storing it somewhere, right? I guess like Heroku or however that gets logged again. I don't know. I'm not technical, but, uh, that stuff is, it definitely is important. It's just, I don't know. There's some sort of like weird, the interface matters for how trustworthy or actionable the data is. Mm hmm. Yeah. I wish it could be more useful there, but Regardless, a really interesting product. That's a yeah, that's a cool find. Well, got got you a swipe at least. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely adding. Do it. you call them? Are they, are they called swipes? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we're also doing a little bit of that with Swipe Well too, just tracking basic stuff like you know we need to know how many swipes people make so that we can uh, pay all them at the right time, and also just logging mm -hmm. usage and trying to find like important patterns of who's actually getting value out of it or not. Um, and speaking of which, <laughs> since I've started this like programmatic SEO experiment where basically, I think I explained it, but I'll just do a brief recap where we're basically I'm going to use my own swipe account to, uh, to create collections, which basically, and this is kind of part of the spiel that I give in the onboarding, which we're trying to figure out the best way to communicate. So this, this will be good practice for me anyways, but 
for most people where their swipe file starts to break down is that they have folders and subfolders and sub subfolders. Um, and if they don't, you just have one massive file, then either way, anything is impossible to find because you're either just like scrolling through something defined in one massive database, or you're searching through multiple folders and subfolders and going to these big long paths. It also makes it really hard to save things. So our approach is it's just, there's no folders, but everything is filterable by tags. And so it's really important to tag everything because that's pretty much the only way you're going to be able to find it later, unless you can search based on the title or a note that you took. But we do have this concept of a collection, which is kind of like a curated view of your swipe file. It's not a folder, but it's just like a view of your swipe file. So you can add something to a collection that doesn't have to be related to a tag or what it is that you're swiping. So it can be used for like a project or a client or anything that may, maybe isn't caught by uh, the tag or the um, or by the title whatsoever. So anyways, I'm creating all of these collections that we'll then use to populate public pages on the site uh, for to target keywords for SEO, essentially. So this is kind of like our programmatic SEO play. Um, through that, I think I'm, I'm getting close to about 200 collections and uh, I hit our paywall pretty quick and <laughs> I'm quickly becoming our biggest power user <laughs> for sure, which is one, which is great because I know the app really intimately well and I get to experience everything and find the limits and, um, you know, firsthand really get to go through all the different nuances of landing pages, emails, ads, bulk imports, tagging, organizing, adding to collections, adding to multiple collections, changing tags, like really just exploring every inch and every different corner of the app. Um, and that's been really cool. Just thinking like, yeah, I should be like our biggest power user and like I should know it backwards and forwards. And it'll be a really cool, I think, showcase to eventually, once we have it all to be like, this is what you could have yourself, you know, like here's, it's a really good, uh, public demo essentially is what it is for swipe. Well, where you just kind of go through and, um, we want to make it still look like, even though there'll be publicly, publicly available pages, kind of make it still look like the in-app experience so that, uh, it, it won't be a different paradigm, you know, it'll be like, okay, mm -hmm. you want this, but your own like click here and then, add these to your swipe file. Cool. Now it's just like one click import over and, um, we'll be able to really showcase what that looks like. And a lot of people to see, cause I don't, there really hasn't been anything like it before. There kind of has been with like swiped.co and swipefile.com where you can filter and they're kind of like these curated views of a bunch of things that are saved, but nothing like add this to your account. And like, this is your swipe file, not just like a, a website with a bunch of examples, but like, this is a swipe file and this could be yours and what yours could look like. Yeah. I love that. I think that's something notion did really well where you could just like import a public page into your own notion account. Right. Right. And that's how you got started. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then they like built out a lot of their pages with notion and everything from the marketing site to the product, like is super consistent. That always bugs me when like 
the marketing side looks totally different from the app, <laughs> which I know like isn't on the top, which is pretty common. I know it's very common. Um, and it's fine if there's like small differences. Um, but when it's like a very, uh, like a super consistent view for something that people would be using all the time, it makes like the marketing pages and the marketing experience more effective because you already feel like you're in the app. You know, you're just like, it's mm -hmm. one, um, you're, you're even closer to creating an account and doing this for yourself. Totally. So anyways, on, on that front, I've been saving like crazy. <laughs> I think I'm about, <laughs> uh, swiping like crazy. I, I'm about 30 to 40% way kind of done with the types of content that we want to be curating and all the different pages that we want to be generating. The big thing that will be like the biggest category and also the thing that I have to wait a little bit for this new feature that Connor's working on is the ads. That's probably like 60% of all the things that we want to save. And I have some that I just like have a file from my own, you know, desktop and my own notion swipe file that I've saved from the past that I've uploaded and, um, that I've saved in there. So I'll be able to tackle everything from like landing pages to emails, but then ads will be like a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but it's also been fun just like spending an hour or two a day going through, I have a bunch of tweets scheduled the, the next like week or two asking people to kind of crowdsource examples for me and things I might, might not be thinking of or fun examples to kind of rise to the top. Um, so it's nice to be able to use your own app for marketing experiments <laughs> and feeling productive. <laughs> it's like, you know, triple whammy being a power user, building a marketing content and, you know, showcasing the product itself. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Being able to use your own app. I, I've definitely been probably the number one power user of Jetboost for a long mm -hmm. time, <laughs> uh, just with all the different clonables and, internal demo sites and, and all sorts of, uh, different use cases. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, one other update I have my end and then it's pretty much it. I know we said it was going to be a shorter episode, which is definitely not going to be, <laughs> but, um, my, <laughs> my last note is uh, a couple updates on the Swi files front. Um, I've been doing these first one K MRR and beyond kind of written interviews and uh, I finally added, I need to actually talk about it, but I finally added a bunch of them to the Files newsletter cadence. Um, so they're published live, they're out there, people start getting them. I think there's about 15 published right now and still need to follow up with some people to actually fill out their interview and then reach out to more, get, you know, kind of slowly gather and curate more of those over time. Um, but then I also added in a few emails that are like basically sales emails. I realized that like the only call to action I had to the membership from the newsletter was in like the PS, <laughs> which I have a little snippet for so uh, I can like change it dynamically as emails go out. But really that was it. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I should probably have a couple in there. Cause there's like 200 some odd emails in this cadence that goes out over a year now. And I was like, yeah, I'm allowed to send a couple of sales emails that are just like, you know, Hey, join, become a member, you know, here's the things that you get. So I had, I have five of them now kind of dispersed throughout the, the evergreen cadence that, um, hopefully will encourage some more members and kind of 
uh, be like this drip, you know, go out to everyone at a different time. Right. So we'll see what the conversion rate is from those emails. But, um, that was something I've been long overdue to actually implement and, uh, finally not check that off the list last week. So, so is that like maybe the, the 30th one is the sales email mm-hmm. and then the 90th or whatever that cadence is. Yeah, exactly. It's like you get the first one after getting emails for about a month and then another one after two months and then another one after like four months and then six months. And then, uh, I think the last one is maybe like eight months in, um, and then the rest is just like all new content. And I'll probably have to add another one after that <laughs> as the, as the cadence and the sequence keeps getting longer and longer out to add more sales emails in there. But I think there's about five dispersed over like eight months right now. Yeah. I love that. I think that's going to be really high converting for you. I hope so. Yeah. The other thing too, is I, there, there's only really only like two emails, um, that are like unique pieces of content. Cause I figured like with the open rate, about half of them, I get about 50% open rate. So half the people won't see it for the first time. And then even if they do and they see it again, it'll more just be like a reminder. So they probably won't mind or even remember the fact that it's the exact same email that I got three months ago. <laughs> so I was like, I just need to get this out the door. I don't care if it's the same exact content. I just click copy and paste. Um, you know, there's two versions. So they kind of like alternate between them over those eight months. Uh, but yeah, I'm hoping they convert well. Um, those were the best two I could come up with. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) you, you mentioned the, the first, uh, one K MRR, uh, interview series that you're doing. I had actually forgotten about that. And so when I was looking at your notes, cause we share our notes before the episode, I, I knew you got your first swipe well customers last week and I was mm. thinking, Oh my God, you already hit one K MRR with swipe. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, Corey is a genius and I'm just quitting. Like this is just not even fair. <laughs> That's funny, man. I wish. Nope. Oh, I yeah. hope I'll be able to write my, that interview for swipe well relatively soon, but nope, not yet. Yeah. I, I think you will. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be on your way for sure. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That would have been a nice yeah. little update. Hopefully soon. You know, the thing too, I think we actually, we could be more aggressive on the revenue front. Um, we could have started charging from day one, not had freemium really ask people to, to pay before they even get into the app. I don't think necessarily either approach like the one that we've chosen versus that route is like better or worse. The thing for us was that we just needed a lot of feedback in order to build the right product, I think. And so we're, sort of like there are definitely some things that we were opinionated about. We knew like, okay, it needs to work this way. Mostly me being like, yeah, no folders. We need to have really strong tags. Uh, it needs to be a Chrome extension. But like beyond that, there was so much up in the air where I was like, we just need more people in the door. So I think that this will be like a slower route, but I'm hoping it'll also pay off later to just be like a larger funnel that we can capitalize on rather than, being a little bit more like value extractive with uh, a more kind of revenue forward. I don't know what kind of words I'm using. Basically, just charging more upfront. Yeah. Yeah, I think long term that's definitely the way to go. Yeah. All that to say, we maybe could have hit 1K MRR already <laughs> if we were super aggressive. <laughs> but um, lo and behold, we're, we'll put that off a little bit longer. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, I've only got one other topic I uh, want to get your thoughts on. Yeah. It actually came out of, I think, maybe it was our last episode mm. talking about, uh, I think I mentioned something about like you're going to have all this data in swipe well and some of the cool stuff you might be able to do with it eventually. Oh, yeah. And so then it got me thinking like, well, JetBoost kind of has a lot of data now in the, in the Webflow space. Uh, you know, a few tens of thousands of sites totally. connected and, yeah. you know, CMSs and collections. And so I was trying to brainstorm some ideas on like, is is there, it's kind of like how, uh, I think like ProfitWell does this, ChartMobile, you guys might've done it, Barometrics, where you kind of give like a, here's the, the state of SaaS according to, you know, us analyzing all of our customers and uh, in different cohorts and stuff like that. And right. those reports are always extremely interesting because as a customer of one of those products, you're like, oh, well, I want to see, you know, what everyone else looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to think if there's something along those lines that we could do with JetBoost. Hmm. Um, I can give you the best one I've come up with, which isn't great, but... Sure. Or if you have any thoughts up front on that type of idea. Well, first of all, I love the idea. I think it's um, vastly underutilized for a lot of companies that are close to some sort of interesting input of data or, or source of data. You know, Barometrics, uh, like any, actually a lot of analytics tools have that advantage, definitely. You can just get to like see under the hood of lots of different parts of businesses. Um, but also a lot of like tools where you input interesting things. Like we're kind of actually experimenting or kind of brainstorming for the same thing for Savvy Call right now. Um, you just have an interesting perspective on people's calendars. Like what can you do with that data, you know? Um, mm. So for JetBoost, you know, like CMS data with even like website visitor traffic data um, makes me think of like, just different types of content in general too. Um, the easiest way is just, I don't know, going through like a list of questions or just things people would like to know if the data were available. That can be hard because people don't necessarily know what to ask if they haven't seen the data in front of them before, you know, you're, uh, that can take some real like creative thinking. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think and then, Maybe that'll spur some other ideas. Yeah. So the one thing that came up for me that I was just kind of personally curious about was, you know, across all these different Webflow sites, what are the most commonly used collections? Mm. And so I ran like query on that. I feel like (laughs) the results like weren't all that interesting. Uh, You know, it's kind of what you would expect, like, blog posts, uh, products was a common one. I think tags was a common one categories. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, the, the top ones were all kind of like what you would expect on a website testimonials, um, team members. Yeah. I, I, I actually was only really thinking about the CMS. I I didn't think also until you said it now about uh, you know, we could do something with website traffic as well. Interesting. Or even like the, the way people interact with 
the content. Again, I don't know what data is like available or you'd have to kind of mm-hmm. change the way that you track things, but even just interesting things about, um, you know, if, if uh, a website visitor comes to a site that utilizes JetBoost, um, like what's the first thing that they do to like sort through the content? Do they use like mm. a search? Do they use a filter? How many filters do they use? Um, was it a drop down? Was it a radio? What is it? A, I don't know. X, Y, and Z. Um, mm-hmm. Or like what's the average number of, you know, filtering interactions per session. I don't know. Like uh, things like that are kind of mm-hmm. interesting as a report just to kind of understand like user behavior on a site that obviously leverages JetBoost. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. Yeah, it's like some of that we have, some of it we don't, so we have to figure that out a little bit, but... Yeah. I Personally, I love these types of reports and basically this content in general for backlinking because it becomes like this source of data that someone would want to reference for whatever kind of content that they're creating. Um, oh, interesting. So this is one of those categories of content that it's like, yeah, if you want to passively build backlinks, create pieces of data-driven content essentially is what it is. Um, even better if it's like a live op- live updated page, like a Barometrics benchmarks or, a, um, you know, some sort of like, well, according to this page over here or this thing that says X, Y, and Z, and then you have like this, this log, this history, right? Um, that helps with SEO, obviously. Super shareable. Hey, look at this interesting thing or hey, I remembered this, that might answer our question. Um, but you can also think about it from that perspective, trying to, like, how do we come up with the data that would be interesting or or useful to link to in the first place? So you're like, what types of things are people writing about or that they're wondering about? And then you can go and try to create that content that they would mm. hopefully link to eventually. Or then you can go, if you're really, if, if you're savvy, then you can reach out to them and be like, hey, I saw that you wrote about X, Y, and Z, or you might be writing about this next by the way, I created this thing that might help you with the data on, on uh, you know, creating an opinion about it or teaching about it or that backs up your your content on this. Um, that might be something you can crowdsource or, I don't know, ask other no-coder or Webflow friends, just like, what would you like to know? Or what types of things would you like to have more data around in general? Yeah, that's a that's a super good idea. Yeah, it definitely has my wheels turning now on who I can reach out to and and try and get some leads on what we could come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fun idea. I like it a lot. I think that that and like engineering as marketing types of projects are perfect marketing experiments for developer founders. <laughs> you know, or yeah. anyone who's doing marketing <laughs> who wouldn't consider themselves a marketer. It's like working a lot of data. Cool. I can do that. You know, then you just publish right. the data, make it look nice, um, and then it'll kind of passively do its thing or just organically be shared. Same thing with engineers marketing, you're just making free tools or calculators or microsites, um, free versions of things. Like, yeah, 
great. I can, I can go and do that. I'll go through my normal kind of launch process. Uh, but it's serving a, a marketing purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's like eventually where I'd love to get with the product is being able to like utilize best practices from existing customers as a, as a new user. So, mm. you know, if I connect my Webflow project and I have a blog post collection, it's like, okay, based on the most commonly used uh, or most common ways that Jetboost is used, you're going to want this category filter and you're going to want this search and here, oh, click yeah. copy paste and, you know, put these in your Webflow project. Mm -hmm. There's some limitations on how we're able to integrate with Webflow that like my dream vision of that can't exist yet, <laughs> but, uh, ho hopefully one day been, been having some interesting conversations with, mm. with some people over there. So we will see. Mm. Yeah. Super interesting. And by the way, uh, looking forward to a Webflow meetup on Wednesday. We'll be a day after this publishes, but, um, hoping to get some sneak peeks on some things there. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I know Webflow meetup in San Diego with some, like you said, sneak peeks as to what's coming next. That's yeah couldn't ask for anything else. I know. That'll be exciting. Maybe you can ask some people there. Hey, what types of things would you be yeah. interested in learning about or want data around or Ooh, if you were yeah. me and had access to any information you wanted, what would you want to know? <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I like that. Cool. All right. Well, shall we wrap it there? Yep. All right. Well, as usual, thanks for hanging around especially since this is a longer one, even though we said right before that it would be a shorter one possibly, but uh, we'll have as many links uh, and mentions in the show notes and we'll see you next time.